right, welcome to another Kibiscane Stories, where neighbors meet neighbors. Today we have Kibiscane resident H. Francis Reeves. She's a lawyer, owner of ParentYourParents.com, co-chair of the Kibiscane Car Week, author of The Two-Minute Warning. We're going to get to know Francis and all she's up to. How are you doing, Francis? I am doing great. Thank you, Alejandro. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you for joining us today. I look forward to it. Me too. I love your podcasts. They're great. Thank you, Alejandro, for doing this for us. Thank you. Thank you. For some of you that have been uh, watching the latest shows, Francis was on our show before with Mary Tag on the Keeps King Car Week. We got a breakdown of what was going on there. The looking best forward to it. chair ever. Mary Tag's fabulous. That's the word on the street. <laughs> <laughs> As it should be. Mm-hmm. So I have I have a icebreaker question for you. So tell us something about yourself that most people don't know. I am willing to bet that most people don't know that I studied for 18 years to be a ballerina. Oh and five of those years was sp spent under the Royal Academy of Dance, which is British. And the reason I studied under them is because I didn't grow up in the United States. And the RAD had a reach to a lot of its British colonies, which are for the most part, pardon me, for the most part, third world countries. And my dad was uh, looking for oil in these third world countries. And so I studied specifically under their syllabus. Then when I got to the United States, I found out that 510 is just a tad bit tall for a ballerina. I, I didn't know that until, until I, I got to Texas Christian University. 5'2 is the normal height for ballerinas. So you couldn't be taller? I am 5'10. So you no, needed to be 5'2. No, most men, most men are around 5'8. So imagine when I went up on point, I was six feet. More importantly, imagine a 5'7 or 5'8 man, and they're pretty slight. You know, you have to be to jump and dance mm. and all that stuff on stage. So imagine this two-ton Tessie coming at you that you had to catch. I can't imagine what those poor men thought. But I have to say, in every case, they caught me. <laughs> <laughs> no accidents then. Good. <laughs> no. So what brought you to Kibis Game? How has that come about? Well, I've been a resident of Key Biscayne twice now. Uh, I went to law school at University of Miami and prior to that had moved here from New Orleans, Louisiana. I'd been married before and uh, got a divorce, worked for the World's Fair in New Orleans, and then sort of ha it was just time for a change. So I moved to Florida, just basic Florida to uh, take a job here. And I landed on Key Biscayne almost by accident and started going to church here and found a roommate. And, um, and so during that time, I decided to go to law school and went to University of Miami. Mm -hmm. I put myself through. Uh, so I went to University of Miami and um, and I lived here until I met my now husband, 
who we dated long distance. He was from Maryland. And so I moved to Maryland in 1991, uh, two years after I'd graduated from University of Maryland, uh, University of Miami. Uh, he had a place here, so it was pretty convenient, actually. <laughs> and um, and then about 11 years ago, we moved here full time. And um, I, I started a, a company prior to Parent Your Parents called Latin America Connection, uh, which because I lived in Latin America uh, uh, and had so many contacts there from high school and college. I tried this company, it was a bad business model, but more important, the Odebrecht corruption, trial, corruption, scandal, uh -huh. first, and it gave Latin, it rebranded Latin America as a place not to do business. So as luck would have it, um, mom and dad were at that point, dad was probably like 88, I would assume, 86 or 87. And, um, well, he was 86. So mom and dad started just needing a little bit more help. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I was, I was at that time still trying Latin America Connection but I was a little bit more available to assist them. So that's how I started on Key Biscayne the second time. Parent to parent, you mentioned. You were telling me how you had started that because your parents and you were available to help them more as they got you know, closer, the older, you know. Or, right. Yeah. So tell us about parent to parent. No, sorry. Parentyourparents.com. <laughs> The well, thing is that uh, there's another organization called Parent to Parent that helps families and kids. But so parentyourparents.com. Yeah. Well, parentyourparents.com is our website. Uh -huh. The name, of course, is just Parent Your Parents. And here is what happened. Um, we um, all got together for my mother's 80th birthday. In fact, we took her skydiving. And oh. yeah. You have to know my mother to understand that that was perfectly acceptable. And she was very excited about it. Uh, but that was the first time. I mean, you see signs of dementia, but you kind of blow them off. Uh, but that was the first time I, I sort of got it because it was her 80th birthday. So all the kids were there. That's the three of us. And uh, mom, myself. And two of her grandchildren, my brother's kids, decided to skydive with her. And it was my first skydive. So we were all, and mom had been so excited, so animated. She was like, oh boy, is this fun? And the whole way up, you know, I'm looking out the window thinking, oh my God, are we really going to jump out of this plane? Charlotte, my mother is like, oh, I was a flight attendant. Oh, I've been here. Oh, oh, oh. Now, since, since it was her birthday, she was the first one out. Now, this is tandem, so there's someone with us. Mm -hmm. And I was right behind her. And all of a sudden, there's like this kerfuffle, right? All this stuff's going on, and we, I don't know what's what's happening. And uh, But she finally jumps, and we all jump. We get to the ground. It was fabulous. Then we look at the video, and here's what had happened to mom. She 
<laughs> she had been, we were told not to look down. And what she did, and you can see it in her face, what she did is she got to the front door and looked down. And you can see in her face, she's thinking, I'm sorry, what am I doing here? <laughs> you think I'm going to jump out of this plane? <laughs> and I'm telling you, she grabbed those handlebars <laughs> and, and wouldn't let go. And you see her guy, you know, undoing her hands. And she finally reaches down to the videographer and then he went. And so she went. And I mean, afterwards, it was all fine. But the look on her face was, wow, <laughs> there is no way I'm going. And it really was a moment when, when you look back on it, when I realized how, and this happens a lot with dementia, you know, you start in the beginning one minute it's like okay everything's fine everything's good mm -hmm. and then the next minute you don't remember that everything's fine and everything's good i mean they ask the same questions over and over again within the span of five minutes and so i think that was our first clue so i at that point started going to see mom and dad about once a month and they they lived in houston and then 10 years later and and dad hid it from us. In other words, he mm. didn't really let us know what was going on because, you know, that's who my father was. And then now, 10 years later, we're doing my father's 90th birthday. And mom, at this point, we know has dementia. We have help for her. And um, on the Sunday of the brunch, she's going around. We were doing it at my parents' home. And she's going around asking people for a ride home. And that was simply because she didn't realize she was in her own house. So my brother and I realized he lived in Georgia. I lived in Florida that, that we had to do something. So, um, and that's when I found out that there's no one to help when you have to do something. There simply isn't anyone. So we gave dad the choice of Florida or Georgia. He chose Georgia where my brother lives and moved him into an assisted living facility. And that was when it was very apparent that mom was no longer self-sufficient. And so we had to move her into what we finally did was move her into a home with about four or five other people with either Parkinson's or dementia. Mm. And, and that's where she lived. And, and my father would go visit her there. Now, he, so here's what happens, of course, is this, this family who, I mean, this couple who've been married for 60 years. I think dad was 30 when they got married. So he's 90, 91 now, um, are split asunder. You know, I mean, my father had never been able, had never not been able to take care of my mother. So. Um, during that time, mom's long-term care insurance ran out, but in fact, it hadn't run out. They had simply miscounted, and I, I was the one paying the bills. So when I, when they, they just quit paying, mm. and so when I looked at it, I called them and I said, that's not what you say at all, and told them about the numbers, and I went up against John Hancock, this wasn't a regular old insurance company. 
And uh, I said, I mean, I had to go through a full year and a half, I think, of all their bills. I, I sent them my findings. Um, and the way I did it was through premium LinkedIn. I sent a letter with the findings discussing who mom and dad were, because dad was a World War II vet, and uh, what they had done. And I sent it to anyone who had any kind of a title within the John Hancock realm. And within 24 hours, I had a response. And within 72 hours, they had uh, offered us enough money to um, pay where mom was. And now we had to do the really hard part and put her into a nursing home. But what made me start Parent Your Parents was the conversation with the man when he said to me, and he, he's really a very nice guy, Dan, we're still in touch. But Dan said to me, Ms. Reeves, this never happens to us. And you know what never happens to them? That they get caught. Mm. I mean, mom and dad would have been out $15,000. $15,000 for a 92-year-old and an 87-year-old. So now I'm checking everything. We put mom into a uh, memory care unit. She had scrapes and bruises. I mean, all of a sudden I'm making money for mom and dad hand over fist because of the way they were treated. Mm -hmm. I fired their doctor. I mean, she would talk to my mother in a voice like this. I mean, all mom had was dementia. She, she was fine with hearing. It was my dad who was hard of hearing. So I fired the, um, the doctor and um, just took over. And that's when I realized, you know, if you have an issue with social security, you have to go to social security. If when we put mom in a nursing home, I had to get her Medicaid ready. And it's all crisis. You know, none of this ever happens. Like, like in, when you're 70 years old, you say, oh, let's plan for just in case I run out of money. It doesn't happen that way. The very wealthy, the 2% might do that because they can. They can put hundreds of millions in dollars into an irrevocable trust. But someone who's making 30 or 40 or $50,000 a month can't do that. I mean, so... Uh, we got my father vet's aid in attendance, which was about $2,200 a month. He had his social security and he had his savings. So we put him, well, at first he lived with my brother and then all by himself, he just decided he wanted to go into an assisted living facility and uh, which he did. There were a bunch of World War II guys. I mean, it broke my heart, mm. honestly, that I had to do that. The hardest day of my life was packing my mother's my mother's things into a box. That's all I needed. This is a woman who graduated summa cum laude from American University, who had followed her husband all over the world, raised three children, <clears throat> all of whom were doing pretty well, and we couldn't afford more for them. But that's that's a reality of most of us. And it's it's not an easy reality. So that's when I took on Parent Your Parents. 
and it's grown ever since, for which I'm happy. So what can we find if I if I go to parent your parents now, mm-hmm. you know, or what 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 kind of information assistance? What, well, you what a lot of options, you know, you know, you ask yourself questions, you know, can my parents still live alone or can my dad still live alone? Uh, what if he gets sick? What if he falls? Uh, under the articles um, part, you'll see all the articles I've ever written, not just for the Islander News, but for Miami Community News. You'll see a plethora of photos of my family because that's what I use. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I didn't have to worry about copyright issues. Is that your dad? Is that your dad? Uh, the the bald guy? The bald guy in the articles page? Yeah. <laughs> so we have there's one of the entire family uh which we took when my nephew graduated from high school yeah and i love go- mom and dad are both gone so i love going to my website just to see photos of them um so and they're videos that touch on different subjects that i've done with both the miami community news cutv but the evolution of the company, and that's why I wrote the book, The Two-Minute Warning, when all of this happened to mom and dad, I was really angry. I mean, I saw how hospice was because both went through hospice. One was horrible. One was fabulous. So, you know, it's a hospice company you have to choose. You can't, not all hospice is the mm. same for sure. And so my first articles are really pretty angry articles. I mean, Medicare, your Mm -hmm. Medicare card is an ATM for hospitals. But once you understand that, you know, what we forget, and certainly what my father, who was part of the greatest generation, and my mother, who was part of the silent generation, they thought doctors were humans. Now, we, the baby boomers, and I know you're a little young to be a baby boomer, Alejandro. But the baby boomers certainly were the first ones to start questioning all of that. Mm. Uh, I mean, we were the Gen Zs of our generation. Uh, uh, we were the first Gen Zs, the baby boomers. We were, you know, protesting in the streets. We wanted to have sex with everyone. Anyone over 30, you couldn't trust anyone over 30. I mean, we were uh, an amazing generation. And, but as I evolved in this uh, practice, I also realized that at 60, we're 40 now. Mm. You know, we're no longer the 60-year-olds our mom and dads were. I mean, they actually thought being a grandparent was cool. No one who is a grandchild age is allowed to call me grandma. No one. If you think I want anyone to think I'm that old, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) even though I am. In fact, in my last article, I admitted to lying about my age. Um, And I, uh, so when I realized this, that's when I started writing the two minute warning. Okay. Which is, the parallel is, when I turned 50, it was a bad day until I realized, oh, there's a good chance I can live to 100. Dad was 94. Mom was 88. I've just got to keep myself healthy, blah, blah, blah. When I turned 60, 
which was not yesterday, <laughs> when I turned 60, <laughs> wasn't even last year. <laughs> but when I turned 60, I realized 120 was going to be a little hard to get to. And that's it. That's your two minute warning, right? Have I done everything I've wanted to do? Mm-hmm. What, what, what's next? Who do I, who do I want to be as I, as I live the rest of my life? And that's what the two minute warning is about, because if you've ever watched a football game and I'm not a big football fan, but I remember the first time they said the two minute warning, I was so excited. I think I thought, oh, thank God, only two more minutes of this game. What a lie. I mean, that game goes on forever, (laughs) like 15 minutes sometimes. Then it ends in a tie and then there's overtime. So, hey, hey, you know, this is our two minute warning. Let's live it up. And when I did my research on two minute warning, two things came out. And you can, when you go to YouTube to see them, you're going to laugh and love both of them. The first one is a two minute warning between the Minnesota Vikings and the Baltimore Ravens, I think, which was in 2013, might be 2014, but all I have to do is put a two minute warning Ravens and it comes up and that ball changed hands seven times in 127, 125 seconds. And the Ravens came out on top 27 to 25. But here was the big find when I was doing the two minute warning search, George Carlin has a comedy routine, which is called The Big Die, The Two-Minute Warning. And he tells us in this two-minute warning that we get a two-minute warning before we die. A lot of people don't know this because, of course, you die and no, you can't pass it on, right? Uh And so he goes through this whole comedy routine talking about how you have to make it a big, a big deal. Like this is your last two minutes on earth. And he goes, and you want to end it saying, and if you don't believe me, if you think I'm wrong, may God strike me down. And then you die. And that's the two minute warning. So both of those are exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you just got to live every minute until there is no more minutes. This is it. So your book, The Two Minute Warning, Warning. is about living to the fullest. To the fullest. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Cool. And you mentioned that where I where are you? Where sex, stage are with how to have sex? Uh-huh. Sex changes as you grow older. What other things do you talk good. about? <laughs> yeah. And I also have that boring, boring chapter about Medicare and Medicaid, <laughs> you know. But I just tell everyone to put a little sticker there so that when they need to know that stuff, they can go back. Go to back. It. Okay. <laughs> But don't read the chapter unless you need to. <laughs> and you are, what stage of the book are you in? Well, it's finished. It's at awesome. about 50,000 words, 200 big, pages. Uh-huh. Okay, 200 pages. Yeah, around. We don't know yet. Um, and it is uh, with the editor right now. I'm still looking for an agent. The worst that happens is I self-publish, but I would much prefer it go through an agent. They right. do a better job. 
So if anybody listening is an agent. <laughs> yeah. Call me. Don't be afraid. You can call me. <laughs> that is from, I don't know. Is that, uh, is that a song, a commercial? <laughs> no, it's, um, no, the commercial is meet the swinger, Polaroid swinger. I'm more than a camera. I'm almost alive. I'm only $19.95. It's the old Polaroid, you know, that came out. Yeah. I also remember all the Brazilian songs from Carnival, too. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> you know, when you live overseas, we didn't have television. So we had Mitch Miller sing along with Mitch Miller. We had Ray Conniff and his chorus. So my, we, our car trips were all about singing. Uh, we were a big, we were the Von Traps of depending on where we lived, but we just didn't have the voices. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you do one on, uh, in Portuguese? Yeah. Você pensa que cachaça é água. Cachaça não é água, não. Cachaça vende em boco e água vende ribeirão. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I even understood it. agora no falo português. Well, I only know like three words, like picanha, caipirinha. Oh, of course. Feijoada. No, feijoada reminds me, and this is all about my mother. We traveled, you know, we lived in all these different countries. And in every country where we lived, Mom would take lessons in the uh, cuisine of oh, the country. That's cool. Yeah. And she made her teacher for Chinese food was a prime minister, Lee Kuan Yew's mother. And mom made, they call it nasi goreng. Mom made the best fried rice ever. She also made fabulous feijoada. She would cater her. Uh, we had a Christmas party every year. She did all the cooking for it. And it, I mean, now, of course, her oldest daughter is a true disappointment. <laughs> I have recently, because my dog doesn't like dog food, <laughs> how to cook ground turkey and ground chicken. And my husband is a little upset <laughs> that I have learned no more than that. For the but dog. For the dog. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And it was Mary Tag who told me how to do it, who taught me how to do it. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank God she's my co-chair. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So going back to parent, your parents, which I like the name, by the way, because you, know, you. You, you get to parent your parents. Yeah. Uh, so from your experience, what are some things you would have wished you would have known earlier, you know, through this whole experience that you went through? Uh, well, I, you know, and of course, that's what brings the regrets because mom and dad were my first clients, right? The first thing I wish I'd known uh, earlier is I wish I'd been more informed about hospice, the nonprofit hospice versus the for profit hospice. Hospice and palliative care, I think are absolutely fabulous. On- yeah. for, those that, for those that don't know, what is hospice? Oh, hospice. 
<laughs> Thank you. I love the hand, Alejandro. Thank you. <laughs> I have this one too sometimes. <laughs> Hospice. Oh, <laughs> the little one. The little hand I can use too. <laughs> That's a great hand. <laughs> Hospice is a service given to people who have who have decided or it has been decided have no chance of recovery. You know, they're at the end of their lives okay. and you don't know whether it's a month or two months and a doctor has to certify that this person is going to not live past six months. And they, the hospice doctor then becomes the lead doctor. And what happens is if you're on pills to keep you alive um, or a medication uh, to keep you alive, sometimes chemo, sometimes radiation, you know, it's often used in cancer uh, type situations. Those are all stopped. But if you're like diabetic, you still get to take your diabetes medicine. Uh, or if you have high blood pressure, you still get to take your high blood pressure medication. But what they do is they monitor your pain levels and keep you as comfortable as possible. Mm. And sometimes, and that's hospice because you are going to die within, let me say this, you're supposed to die within six months. That's what the, the attending physician has said. Palliative care isn't necessarily hospice. What palliative care is, you're still taking that chemo or um, a tough drug for your kidney or dialysis. You know what I'm saying? You're still doing the dialysis, but they're also trying to keep you as comfortable as possible. It hasn't been determined that the dialysis isn't going to work. So sometimes like in like when you're waiting for a kidney or when you're waiting for a new heart, they, they take you sort of through palliative. Not everybody, just, you know, everyone's different. But hospice means that we are now close to the end and let's keep him, as him or her as comfortable as, possi as possible. And, and so there are two things about hospice. Like everything Medicare related, and this annoys me to no end, like everything Medicare related, it's often taken advantage of. There are people who I personally know who've been on hospice for close to 18 months because what hospice gives you is a little bit more care. So it's not really that you're dying, you just need a little bit more care. I, those are my tax dollars at work. I think it takes away from the value of hospice, but I can't really judge because it's such a stressful time in everybody's life. All you want for your loved one, be it your husband, your parent, your aunt, your uncle, your sister, all you want for them is to be comfortable. And 
honestly, both my parents, when they went on hospice, died within within the six months. So the attending physician was correct. And but mother's hospice was so, so much better. I mean, they really cared about the entire family. You know, they reach out to you, they ask you how you're doing. When you go into hospice, you also have to decide who's going to take care of you when you die, you know, which sent my brother and I to a funeral home. And I would never, ever ask anyone to go to a funeral home alone. It's very, very difficult. Um, but at, whereas my father's hospice, I mean, the poor man went through so much pain before we finally got him situated that um, I would, and one was for profit and mother's was nonprofit. Mm. So I, I'm a little colored there, but again, I didn't know enough about hospice. Now I know too much about hospice. <laughs> to take it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes ignorance is bliss. <laughs> the other thing I wish I had been that I wish I'd known, but I, I don't think you know it until you go through it, is how our society views some people call them seniors, I call them elders, because elders are the anointed ones in Indian tribes and synagogues and churches. And I feel that our elders are the experience, the wisdom, they have a lot to teach us and we should treat them that way. And until I went through this with mother and father, I had no idea how elders are treated. Now, of course, if I see an elder anywhere, I'm sure, I'm sure they're all tired of me. <laughs> if I see an elder anywhere, I'm, I rush up can I help you? And, you know, they turn me, no, I'm fine. I don't need your help. <laughs> I, there is a, there is that place where you have to give them their pride, right? Hey, I don't need your help. Okay. But there's also that place where sometimes you have to help them across the street. And I, I say that as a metaphor, but, um, and you know, if, if we have to stand up and let them sit on the bus, so be it, or the plane, or in, in one particular instance, uh, this poor woman was an elder and she had more than she could carry. She, it was, and she hadn't asked to be put on first. So, you know, Francis, the lawyer just went up and said to the flight attendant, this is so ridiculous. We have to get her on the airplane and how can I help you do it? And I became the flight attendant. I took her back to her seat. I went up to the flight attendant. I went and got her other stuff and took it back there and blah, blah, blah. But they gave me free drinks. Uh. <laughs> it wasn't all bad. <laughs> but, but that's who I've become since yeah. learning. Because, you know, those, those gate agents are busy. You know, everybody's coming up. They don't have time to look around and see who should really be going on this plane. And for me, it's heartfelt. You know, I do this. It, I, I have to live. So I, I didn't charge that lady, of course. But so I charge for my services, which are all legal. We also have at Parent Your Parents, an MD who looks at all the medical records when I'm not sure that the doctor's doing his job. Okay. We also have a psychologist 
and she also lives here um, on the key, Rhonda uh, Fuchs. And Rhonda, it's now Rhonda Fuchs Plowsy. She just got married, but nevertheless, Rhonda. I know her. Oh. I know her. I know her from the RDCA dojo. Oh, okay. Her so, son and I. Yeah. Uh, so, well, Rhonda, you know, all you have to do is mention money, whether it's 30,000, 30 million, or 300 million, and there's a fight. I mean, it is, I have watched this now. And so, when all this is going on, I bring in Rhonda. You know, she does a lot of collaborative divorce, which is exactly the same thing that's happening here. And if you know Rhonda, you know how good she is at just bringing everybody down. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then I have a move manager because oftentimes people are moving from huge homes into a smaller home and it's so hard to let go of their favorite photo, you know, or their favorite chair that their husband used to sit in that's never been sat in since he died, you know, and again, she does just a tremendous job. So, and what I try really hard to do is if I can't help, I want, I want in my repertoire, someone who can. So if you need home health care, you go ahead and call me. I have three or four home health care agencies I can refer you to. If you are looking for an assisted living facility, I have a great group called Welcome Home, uh, led by Faith Bandclayer, and she worked for the palace for 20 years. She knows nursing homes, assisted living facilities. She'll come, she'll interview you. Then she'll take you to the different assisted living facilities and you don't have to pay her. The facility you choose pays her. So it's those sort of, I mean, I didn't know that there was someone who, who could do that for me. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. those are the things I wish I'd known. But I know them now, and that's why all you have to do is call one place. Now, I can't do your social security. I can, you know, <laughs> you have to be involved a little bit. Uh -huh. I can certainly show you how to get on ssa.gov. Okay. So when, when will be the right time for people to get, you know, to reach out for these concierge, elder concierge services? <laughs> well, there's never a bad time. Yeah. I have people who reach out to me when they think something's going wrong and, you know, I give them some advice. My first consultation is always free. Then I give them some advice. And then a year later, they're in crisis planning. And that's often what happens. Mm. Some of my clients often come from other lawyers who did the trusts and the wills, and now everything's falling apart around them. And so that lawyer is a litigator and doesn't quite know. Uh, a great example is a woman who the house was falling down around her. She had gone through all her trust money. So we had to sell the house to find money to put her into a facility, which we did. Uh, the other lawyer had, and I had to empty that house. And we moved her into a facility and uh, she's I'm now her trustee. Uh, it's it's not a role I look for at all, but um, she is um, 
as happy as she can be and healthy, as healthy as she can be. She's 87. She went in when she was 84. I, you know, I have another gentleman who has no one else but a daughter. Everybody else has died around him. And, you know, we put together his trust and uh, his daughter is a trustee, but as much as I hate to be a trustee, I'm the second one, just in case something happens to the daughter. So I, I get in some of those situations, but let me make it very clear. I prefer to, to just put it all together for you versus become a part of it. But if I need to be, I will. There are, I'm one of these people too. I don't have children. Um, my brother, my sister, and I are within five years of each other. So making them my uh, power of attorney or my healthcare surrogate isn't going to do me any good. I really have to reach out to nieces or nephews or friends, sometimes grandchildren, sometimes lawyers. Many of my trusts are run by uh, a trust uh, portion of a bank who's a totally disinterested party. Mm -hmm. And law firms also have a finance end who will do all that work for you, but that that's not my law firm. Got it. So basically, people reach out to you normally when they're in need, but it'll be good to at least have a consultation to at least educate oneself when it comes right. to all these senior services that are out there and how to elder. navigate elder. elder. Elder, elder services <laughs> and everything that's out there. It's better to know a little bit at least uh, before you are right. actually in need. So when I win the time playing. Right. And it. also many people think you have wills, you have trusts, and then you have other instruments that that you can use. A will goes to probate, which means you're going to have to pay a lawyer to take it through probate. And it has to be a decent amount of money. Otherwise, they're not going to take it because they just take a percentage of the probate. A trust bypasses probate because you're putting everything into a third party, uh, a third party holding company. That's basically what you're doing. It's a holding company. But there are also ways, depending on your assets, where you can avoid probate without a will or a trust or anything else. You just, depending on the house, you can, in the state of Florida, you can do an enhanced life estate. So you can say, when I die, this house goes to so-and-so or so-and-so and so-and-so, so that the house moves without probate. Or if you have a brokerage account, you can do a pay on death. So when that person dies, you give the brokerage account, the death certificate, and the money passes without going through probate. So it's not all about trust and wills. There are so many ways we can avoid probate. The tough, the tough issues is Medicaid planning because that's almost, in Medicaid, you have to do all of your um, transfers five years prior to applying for Medicaid. So in other words, you have to say to yourself, okay, I'm 75, now's a good time to put my income in some irrevocable things so that Medicaid won't come after me if at 80, I need Medicaid. Do you know how many people think about going into Medicaid? Maybe the lawyers who plan it. 
mean, no yeah. one thinks they're going to live in a nursing home. No one does. Or with a Medicaid waiver in their own home. It's, it's, I mean, it's not who we are, especially if you're following my book, right? You're mm. living life to the fullest. But there comes a <laughs> You got a plan. <laughs> right. I do mention that you have to plan and that's part of the book too. But, you know, so it's a question of just knowing what the options are out there are that are out there. And really, even in crisis Medicaid planning, there are still a lot of options there. I mean, and if you're married, there are more options than if you're single. So if you're single, I would be much more. Uh, I I would say think about it a little bit more. Yeah, a little more proactive when it comes to that. Okay. Yes. So what, what have you learned? Well, Alejandro, certainly I've learned a lot, mm. but I think most recently, the thing that I have to say is a lot more about dementia. My mother had dementia and I'd go see her about once a month for two or three days. So I certainly had a dose of it then. However, uh, my husband was uh, diagnosed with dementia uh, about two years ago. Uh, and we are under the Miami Jewish Health Mind Institute. And so they've tested him for Alzheimer's, for uh, uh, Lewy body. And he, he doesn't have any of those horrible dementias, but there's no doubt he has dementia, which means sometimes uh, he has good days and bad days, that there are times when he sundowns, usually in the afternoon, when um, I'll be working and uh, I'm I'm actually moving to an office right across the street, but nevertheless, working in my office at home, he'll just burst in and need something right then and there. And so, in fact, on Friday, I missed a filing deadline because that happened. So you, you have to come to terms with it uh, because right now he's fine other than those things. And it really makes you realize that this is a very, it's a progressive disease, but it's not like it progresses in months. It, it's like in steps. Mm. So, uh, so now, as I tell all my friends, the good news is there isn't much I haven't learned about being an elder. <laughs> and I know I'm making light of it, mm. but he's still Tom. He's still, he's still funny, you know, just needs a little bit more help. All right. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's you, you having gone through all this, you know, you can give people peace in, 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 in knowing what to do. You know, you. people come to you and then be like, they, they might be for you and it could be easy. And then because you already done it, but for someone who doesn't even know what the next step to take just on that initial, you know, consultation the first consultation or at least you're providing some sort of mapping like this is what we can do it's okay this are the options available to you so you know i think yeah i'm sorry to interrupt alejandro i've also learned there are people who don't want to admit that it's dementia you know i mean when i meet with them it's very apparent to me because of my mother and because of my husband it's very apparent to me what's happening here it it's so totally apparent and a couple of my clients have dementia now as well. But you can't tell a loved one that their loved one has dementia until they're ready to hear it. 
So, mm. I mean, and that's why I went to the Mind Institute, not because of me. I was, I, I knew exactly what had happened, but the rest of his family had to hear it from a true source. So I get it. And I get, it's, you know, it, it's stressful, but guess what? The only way out is through, as Robert Frost says. So you just got to go through it. It's yeah. fine. You'll come out. Yeah, and having <laughs> someone there, having someone there with you, I'm sure it makes it just a lot of bit easier. Yes, so. it does. So one, I know that we're running out of time. So one more, <laughs> one more question okay. uh, for you. We, we ask um, all our guests uh, and Keeps Kane stories. What is your favorite part about Keeps Kane? Oh my gosh. What isn't my favorite part about Key Biscayne? I think two come to mind. I'm a, a, a walk runner. Mm -hmm. And with the exception of Sundays, every morning I get up and I walk uh, all the way to the um, fossilized reef at the other end of right before Bear Cut Bridge. Wow. Yeah, it's it's about a six mile walk round trip, and I wow. pin, I still pinch myself that I am walking right next to the Atlantic Ocean, and I am watching a sunrise. Oh my God! I mean, if if you're feeling if you're feeling sad and lonely, that's my thought. Go take a walk by the ocean, and if you want to watch sunset, just go to the other side. <laughs> there it is. And the other thing I love about Key Biscayne is that at the end of the day, it, yes, it's changed a lot, but at the end of the day, everyone here loves it. If you don't love it, you're not going to stay, but we do love it. Mm -hmm. And we love the fact that we're this small 15,000 person community. And yes, it's kind of like a high school and we have our little fights and we have our little groups but so what you know when we have a common enemy we all put on our armor and go fight them together so i love key biscayne awesome francis thank you so much for jumping in the show and telling us about your story how you got to the key and what you do and how you're helping people in 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 these special and difficult sometimes you know difficult moments in their lives so you're providing that that seed of peace so awesome well, and Alejandro, thank you. Thank you for doing this. I know it's a labor of love for you as it is for me when I do my articles and my videos. And um, I think it makes us all smile. So thank you very much, not just for having me, but for taking the time to do this show. I'm appreciative.